Hello, word nerds, and welcome to another very special episode of the podcast called The Dictionary. Uh, I keep on calling these special episodes, but I feel like maybe I should uh, change it up a little bit. This one is special because you probably saw in the title, uh, I have another guest. My guest today is Paul McComas. I I think I pronounced that correctly. Is that right, Paul? You did. Rhymes (laughs) with Thomas. Yes. Spelt like Thomas, rhymes with Thomas. After about 12 or 13 years of knowing you, I sure hope that I've pronounced your name. Um, yeah, Paul, Paul and I go back about that long. Um, I, I've helped him on various video projects. Um, but, but Paul, let us know. Tell us, tell me and tell the people um, what sort of things you do. What, what, what do they need to know about you? What things do you have to plug? Well, they need to know first that this is not a special show. If all the other ones have been, then I'd like to request that this not be a special episode of it. Because that that will make it, you know, special. Uh, Duly noted. Okay, thank you. Uh, What do I do? I'm an author. I'm a filmmaker, musician, songwriter, um, activist. uh, On the on the correct side, not the right side. The correct side. (laughs) And uh, Spencer and I, yes, uh, twelve or thirteen years. He's saying, "My God, it seems like longer." Oh no, Spencer and I have worked very well together on a series of uh, film projects and uh, my cult TV series. No Budget Theater, and uh, little Sam Shepard short, and too many things for me to remember. And at one point, we just decided to give ourselves a, a production company name. We are Invagba Productions, I-N-V-A-G-B. There's a story behind that, which we can go into now or later if you want to. It does have to do with word nerdery, after all. It does. Or we could just keep it a secret from the people, <laughs> and they will just ever wonder what the hell is with Invagba we can make them guess for a prize. Yes, if yeah, you yeah. can guess. And, you know, maybe some people can, because you remember how Invagba came to be. It's I'm undoubtedly not the only person who got that word, non-word, showing up when I did X, right? True, so, true. Yeah, so. I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Yeah, basically, basically what Paul said, uh, we have worked on a whole variety of projects together. I've helped him out with editing or recording or whatever it is. Like you said, way, way too many for me to remember. Uh, we will put links, of course, into the show notes. Um, Paul is, in my opinion, one of the most amazing people I know. Oh he is constantly working. He is the, one of the most creative people I have ever seen. He has been in the film and performing and writing world since he was probably, what, 10, 12? Uh, yeah, I made my first movie at 11. Yeah, yeah. yeah. These were back in the, uh, what, Super 8 days? Uh, even before, the Standard 8 millimeter days. Standard and 8, okay. Super 8 was great because Super 8 was the cartridge that you put in. And mm, yeah. what happened was uh, my dad shot Standard until he got a Super 8 in the early 70s, and then he gave me a Standard 8. You want this? Do I want this? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I love movies. I've loved them since the first time I saw one, and I've been watching them and writing about them. I had a couple fanzines. I wrote about monster movies and science fiction movies. And uh, then when I had a camera, I just uh, I took off. And yeah, it was standard eight, which means that it's a sixteen millimeter reel. And when you shoot, uh, when you it's a short one though, a short reel, but it's two sided. I don't know if this makes any sense to um, mm. dear listener. Some but... people will love it, I guarantee. <laughs> yeah, right? It's not word nerd right now. It's film nerd. And uh, so you shoot it like a minute and a half worth or just over. And then you have to go in a dark room, take it out, flip it over, 
close the camera back up and shoot it again, but on the other side. And then at the lab, they, they, they develop it and, uh, they, um, uh, they cut it down the middle and, uh, mm. put it together into, into one reel. It's just a terrible technology, but for me, it was a godsend. Yeah. I mean, it was better, better than nothing. I don't know if I ever realized that they, that they used to do that. They would take 16 millimeter film and, and cut it and do that. That's fascinating. Isn't that crazy? Um, yeah. Yeah, but Paul is, like I said, one of the most creative people I've seen. Um, he, to this day, any any um, movies or, or short films he makes, he his creativity is the most amazing thing because he, it's like, how do I describe it? Creating little model sci-fi cities out of egg cartons and tins and, you know, whatever. It's like, I think of uh, Michelle Gondry, the filmmaker Michelle Gondry, yeah. when I when I think of your stuff as well. And um, it just blows my mind uh, between, he's a renaissance man, filmmaking, writing books and films, musician, um, performing, everything. Uh, definitely go check out Paul's work. Um, and uh, and like you said, activism. You do a lot of work for Rain R A I N N. And could you say what that stands for for the people? Yeah, Rain is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. It's the largest anti-sexual violence organization in the country, probably in the world. Come to think of it, I'm on their National Leadership Council and their Speakers Bureau. They were co-founded 25 years ago by Tori Amos, uh, with whom I've gotten to meet a few times to uh, filter in on the status of a couple of my projects, including the Unplugged project, for which your host, Spencer Parks, uh, worked with me to make a series of short films. One link that we'll put in the, what did you call it? The the show notes. Show notes. I was going to say Link Bay. I think I like that. Uh, That works too. (laughs) Uh, Is a link to the the recording uh, from our city winery production, city winery Chicago production of Unplugged. And the, the films show up very well in there. We made sure in post uh, to have the films show up uh, even better than they did live on those screens. So anyway, yeah, Rain and uh, I'm doing a project right now uh, centered around John Steinbeck. Uh, you'll see in show notes, uh, it will have already uh, taken place on Zoom and Facebook by the time this airs, but it will be archived. And uh, that screening and discussion that I did a few weeks ago for uh, an art center in Milwaukee that was all about IGSC, Intergenerational Self-Collaboration, which is Mm. me making movies at 11 to 15 to 17, and then coming back 25 to 30 to 35 to 40 years later and collaborating with that callow youth, that callow preteen or teen uh, maintaining his naive, innocent enthusiasm and energy, but polishing it with what I've gained through experience as a filmmaker and, and media scholar. I will tell you, uh, Spencer, since you mentioned things like the egg cartons and the tinfoil, uh, that part of me is still very much alive. I mean, Heather can attest, my wife can attest. We'll yes. be out walking and see something in a store window, and I'll say, you know, what was it? It was it a was gigantic pencil. And I said, if I were making a kind of an incredible shrinking man movie, I would go in there right now and buy that thing. And it would just be a scene of me waking up and seeing that. And then the music would go, dun, dun, you know? Uh, so that I will always have about a 15 year old filmmaker uh, in, in my brain that you could map my brain. You would see that it's shaped like um, 
like a film with sprocket holes in it. Lots of sprocket <laughs> holes. Lots of holes. Lots of holes in my brain by this time. Oh, mine, mine as well. Yes, but yeah, keeping that young, that young spirit alive. Um, but like you said, with the older level of experience, uh, and I hope in 20 years you go back and you, you add even more <laughs> stuff to them. Inter intergenerational, you know, I, I did a, in advance of that screening, I did an interview on uh, Milwaukee public radio and the interviewer, uh, whose name of course eludes me now because of those holes in my brain, he was great. And he, he, he was, he was saying, was it therapeutic? It's absolutely therapeutic for me to go back and affirm that kid you know, who, mm. who got trash talked a lot and um, treated like <clears throat> and bullied a lot. And to be able to go back and, and say to him, you know what, what you were doing, it mattered, it counted. I'm going to take it that next step and make it the best version of itself it can be was super affirming to me. And so the, the interviewer said, so it's intergenerational self-validation. Mm, yeah, I, I like that. It, it is. It is. So absolutely taught a workshop in IGSC across all arts. And so we had writers, musicians, all the kinds of different people. And I challenged them to go find something from very early on. You know, they didn't want to go that far back because it's not <laughs> that good. That's the, that's not the point. The point isn't how good it was. The point is go back away so that there's a nice big gap there between you and the originator. And then together you can make something that neither of you could possibly make on your own. Yeah, I think that's actually really good for creators of all kinds to look back at what they did. Not necessarily, you don't have to dwell on it. I know people can get uncomfortable with that, but I think it's good to look back and who knows? I mean, it could give you a new idea that you never would have thought of otherwise. Right, right. Yeah, let, let your past be your muse. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, which is such an interesting concept, I think. Um, and then one last thing before we get to the words, you mentioned that show Unplugged, which I do highly, highly recommend that everybody check out. Um, it's it's a really, really impactful... Um, uh, it's it's just a really amazing show, which you wrote, I think, with with Maya. Is that right? Well, here's the here's a quick uh, Cliff's Notes kind of history of it. Start as a novel that I wrote that was published in two thousand two, and then the publisher did a fifteenth anniversary uh, edition two and a half years ago. So two thousand two novel did really well uh, critically, better critically than commercially, but that's the story of my life, and I don't care. Um, and and then uh, while I while I was writing the novel, I started writing songs and the voice of the main character because she's a rock musician and uh the songwriting informed the novel writing and and vice versa when i finished the novel and it was off to the publisher and even after it was published i kept writing songs in the voice of this character dana clay and uh, i just couldn't stop she was alive in my brain right next to that 15 year old filmmaker actually um you know he was trying to get some action with her but she wouldn't go there and uh <laughs> and so what happened then uh maya came on board the project in the uh, circa 2013 i want to say um yeah i want to say it so i'll go ahead and say it circa 2013 and say it. hey i say it she plays dana and uh I had written half of the songs for the show uh, and she and I co-wrote the other half and adapted the songs uh, plus uh, a play script uh, that I wrote into the show that Spencer's referring to that also features his and my uh, collaborative in Vagba Productions uh, short films. And so now that has a soundtrack album available on CD and via download, profits from which go to Rain, the aforementioned Rain. Uh, in pre-pre-production on a Hope for Indie feature uh, based on the novel. 
and uh, then it'll be a lunchbox and a video game, and <laughs> I don't know what else. Uh, action figures and <laughs> trading yeah, cards. Uh, but I, yeah, th- this show really is worth watching. It's it's different. Uh, it's impactful. Um, I think especially if you are a woman, a creative person, but also if you're a man, it was really impactful to me. And then my wife saw it and she told a bunch of her friends that uh, if they can, that they should watch it. So, um, and that actually reminds me, I, I should ask Maya if she wants to be a guest. Yes. I think she would be great. And I don't have enough women queued up. Um, I do want to keep this as mixed as possible. She'd be great. So would uh, Megan, who I did the st- with whom I do the uh, Steinbeck show. And you want some referrals to some great uh, women in the arts and in the in the uh, word nerd word nerd community. You know, Maya's uh, day job is that she is the boss of the copywriters at Zounds Music. Uh, so she's a word nerd too. Yes, yes, yes. We'll we'll definitely talk off air about that. Okay. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll talk about some words and their definitions, and uh, this should be an interesting little section that we've got here on the top of page one twenty five. Uh, you know, we don't have to, as as my listeners know, I don't usually go too in depth with my with my comments, but uh, hey, you never know what's gonna come up. It could turn into a whole a whole thing. So our first word is biotype. B I O T Y P E. Paul, you are coming in at the end of this section of the bio words. For the last seven episodes or so, all these words have started with bio. Okay. Um, And so this one is a noun from 1906. The organisms sharing a specified genotype. Also, the genotype shared or its distinguishing peculiarity. And biotypic is an adjective. Hmm. All right. And you'd like me to respond in some way. If you have anything to say, and what you said, hmm, all right, is often how I respond to a lot of these, so that is perfectly fine. No, 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 the the rest of the (laughs) definition would read something like, example, Bernie Bros. Um, That's a biotype, of which I'm not myself a member. I I was a Hillary backer, and then I supported someone else from the Democratic field in the last primaries, and now I'm all behind Joe because, you know, consider the alternative. But I would say uh, that uh, Bernie Bros is uh, a modern day biotype, if ever there were one. I think that is a perfect example. Um, and uh, you are much, much better at coming up with examples than I am. So feel free to keep on doing that. And it just helps me and everybody else understand uh, the word better. You know, the definition only can go so far. Um, and oftentimes when I'm reading these, my brain just shuts off. I'm reading the words, but I don't even really hear what I'm saying until I listen back to this later. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you for that example. That's perfect. Also, and then uh, our next... Oh, well, yeah, go ahead. Move on. Yeah, I actually have a device here you might be interested in. Jesus, that's hot. In which you might be interested. My, my um, what do you call it? New Year's resolution this year is to stop ending sentences and ideally clauses and phrases with prepositions so i'm constantly correcting myself i am an english professor among other things so um but i have a device here that i use to translate words directly into dna and it's called a type biotypewriter actually oh biotypewriter yeah. Very nice. Very okay. nice. That reminds me of a, uh, a Stephen Wright joke. Sorry. No, you should start ribbon me uh, about <sighs> these bad jokes. Yeah. I do love puns, but I am not <laughs> good at creating them. Uh, but that, that does remind me of a Stephen Wright joke. He said, yeah. I have the oldest typewriter in the world. It types in pencil. 
Well, Spencer, you know that I still use a flip phone, and my dream oh, yes. is to, dream is to find a rotary flip phone. That's what I really, really want for Christmas. Um, I have a feeling somebody's made one. <laughs> there are images of them, but I don't think they actually exist. I love Stephen Wright too. I, one of my favorites from him is when he said, uh, "I came home late last night. I was fumbling for my keys accidentally." stuck uh, my car key into the front door lock and uh, it was like two three blocks before i could get off you know jump off something like that uh, yeah i think i heard another version said it he better said I... than i but the point was that because he'd used the wrong key his house was driving down the street his cows his car turned or his house turned on and he said so i drove it around for a little okay, while yeah. and then i then i parked in the median strip of a highway and I yelled out the window, get off my lawn. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. See, that's the double flip on that joke. That's the button, they call it in comedy. You got your punchline, and then you got your button. Yep. Oh, yes, oh, yes. Yeah. And then uh, halfway through a routine, you know, when he's delivering the deadpan like this, halfway through, he'll just pause, and he'll say, I'm feeling a little hyper tonight. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys have never heard of Stephen Wright, you got to go check him out. He is amazing. Yes. All right, next word is bio-warfare. This one is a, it's a good one, right? Noun from circa 1966, and we just have the synonym biological warfare, which we read, oh, I don't know, five episodes ago. So if you want to hear what that one is, go back to that episode. And if we want to continue that, that Bernie Bros thing, it would be the Bernie Bros plus Hillary backers like me on Facebook. That's bio-warfare between two types, two bio-types. Also, that awful scene in Silence of the Lambs when Clarice first walks past the prison cells and one of the prisoners flings something at her. I'm not going to say what it is. Do you remember, Spencer? Mm -hmm. Yes, I think I do. He was engaging in an act of bio-warfare. Yes, agreed, agreed. Um, I just thought of a, a fun game. Can you think of what the next word might be? Okay, we went from biotype to bio-warfare. Um, are you willing to tell me whether it's a bio, a bio word or not? Because my answer will depend on that. It, it is still a bio word. Okay. The second to the last of the bio words, in okay, fact. Okay, so the last might be something like biozygote, and it's not going to be that. It's going to be another W, I'm saying. Is that right? Bio W something? Yes. Yes, uh, but not W-A, because we did that. W, bio, bio, um... Bio wobble, bio wobble, uh, the tendency to uh, shake and, and shiver because of uh, puberty. Bio wobble. You know, if that that word is not in the dictionary, but it absolutely should be in the dictionary. Um, the, I have a feeling that game won't last because I think it's just way too hard and it puts people on the spot. Um, but the the next word is bio waste. Oh, yeah. Noun from 1968. Waste as manure, sawdust, or food scraps that is composed chiefly of organic matter. So, of course, manure is poop, sawdust comes from wood, and then food scraps is obviously, you know, food is, is biological organic matter. Mm -hmm. And just to stay on a theme, I'm going to say that in the 2016 election, uh, any progressives, moderates, uh, you know, sane people who... Uh, either cast a vote for Jill Stein or wrote in Bernie or stayed at home. Uh, no, not the stayed at home. Yeah, no. There was the, okay, that, that's harder for me to make conform to the definition, so we'll leave that out. 
voted for <laughs> wrote in Bernie uh, or voted for Jill Stein or voted for what's his name, that ex-Republican who was running. Um, the votes that they cast uh, were by a waste. Uh, and and I, I'm thinking also of an Onion picture from 2000, from right after that election. And it showed, honestly, Spencer, now that I think of it, and I wasn't going there, but here we are. It showed a guy who looks a fair amount like my dear friend Spencer um, in perhaps an altered state, uh, wearing a Nader t-shirt. And the headline in The Onion was, vote, comma, voter, wasted. Hmm. So gets us to that waste thing. Yeah, yes, I would say yes. that, but that's not bio though. See, I got to stop being so political. Bio waste, bio waste. Yeah, I, I think manure is usually the first one that I think of when I think of the word bio waste. Yeah. Something that's, uh, you know, not used, but it comes from something that's organic. Well, it comes from something having been used. Yeah. Yes, that is organic. Yeah. Yeah. And then being used again. In the um, circle of life, yes. Hakuna Matata, true, all, true. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, whether whether you are actively using it or or not, um, yes, it is getting used in some form. Mm-hmm. It's it's something is being done with it. Um, so we are going to move on to the last of the bio words. It is bio weapon. This mm-hmm. is a noun from 1973, and we just have the synonym biological weapon because, of course, biological was shortened to bio. Uh, the, the the example would be. That of which they found none in Iraq in the early 21st century. That would be the example I would give. But back to the manure. Back to the manure. And that is going to be the name of my memoir, by the way. Back to the manure uh, dispense. I just want to say that if ever there were a perfect example of, of nature as recycler, it would be manure, which is the byproduct of something having been accomplished and then can be put to use to accomplish something else. It's beautiful when you think about it. Uh, it's it's great. I love manure. It's amazing. I like the smell uh, out in the you know on the country when you're driving past the fields and they put the window down. It doesn't smell like you know I won't say the word, but it, it doesn't smell like ah. It, it, Poop. It's somehow yeah, it's different somehow. Maybe it's the interaction with the earth that it's gives possible. it. Yeah, and and so it's the smell of of life. It's the smell of you know that which will nourish us. It is a very positive aroma to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think people need to learn more about manure. But we are now going to learn about the word biparental. Mm. This one is an adjective from 1900 of relating to, involving, or derived from two parents. And then biparentally is an adverb. Right. And also can refer to uh, the raising of children by someone who is attracted to both men and women. That would also be biparental. And... Uh, I am at liberty to go there because Unplugged uh, has a protagonist who is bisexual. Um, So obviously there's no criticism in my choosing that secondary definition by parental. Yeah, I I think that works. Yeah, being, yeah, the raising of children by someone who is attracted to, uh, to people of both sexes. Yeah. I say that works. We'll add it in the next version of the, of the book. Thank you. So our next one, you might have a few things to say about. Um, it's kind of a long, longish definition, but uh, here we go. It is the word bipartisan or partisan. Um, it does say this is, oh yes, that's something else. So this is an adjective from 1895 
of relating to or involving members of two parties, specifically marked by or involving cooperation, agreement, and compromise between two major political parties. Bipartisanism is a noun, and bipartisanship is also a noun. Right, with, with a, a, an illustration of a dodo bird next to it, I think. And in parentheses it says extinct, yeah? Um, and I'm certainly not going to be one of those people saying, oh, the parties are so divided. And this false equivalency, you know, of it's, it's the fault of both sides. No, it's not. Barack Obama, the best president of my lifetime, I was a Kennedy kid. I was born during those thousand days of JFK. He went into office trying to work across the aisle. But it takes two, man. It takes two. And all of those freaking congressmen and senators over on the other side staring at him thinking you know what they were thinking yeah i think more than half of the opposition to to barack was based on race and they were thinking two words that are initialed u n and the the u word would be uppity that's what they were thinking and you can't work with people like that they had no interest in working with him it's gotten worse since because of, you know, what managed to cheat and lie its way into power with Russian meddling. So you expect me to go political on this answer, but I'm not going to, Spencer. Thank you. I'm going to say that if I am invited to two fêtes, F-E-T-E-S, from Le Francais, if I am invited to two celebrations, two stem winders, as it were, to whatever you want to say, should I go to this one or should I go to that one? I will go to both. I will ideally go back and forth between the two. I will be bipartisan oh. on that evening. Yes. Good. You, you pulled it out. You pulled it out. <laughs> well, uh, you know, you can get arrested for that. So, no, actually, I did not. <laughs> um, you, you said you weren't going to get political on that one. I do think the start of your comment was maybe a little on the political side, but, you know, I, yeah, won't, we, I won't hold you to it. That's a rare case of a, uh, the preface of a book being longer than the book itself. <laughs> Um, and by the way, how can you tell? This isn't a riddle. This is this is a fact. How can you tell a self-published book from a book published through regular means, like my books? And that is, if it has a foreword, the self-published book has a foreword that's spelled F-O-R-W-A-R-D. And that's why we need to have publishers and editors and uh, copy editors and proofreaders so that folks don't embarrass themselves out there and when they mean to have a F-O-R-E-W-O-R-D, they put an F-O-R-W-A-R-D. And at that point, I put it down and said, no, I'm not reviewing this book. There's no quality control. Maybe I should have you back for the word forward in about <laughs> four years or so. The words forward, yes. Either one, You're either right, or right. both. Please do. Will yeah. do. So we are going to move on to the word bipartite. I think that's how it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. B-I-P-A-R-T-I-T-E. This one is an adjective from 1574. 1A, being in two parts. 1B, having a corresponding part for each of two parties. 1C, shared by two. Number two, divided into two parts almost to the base, as in a bipartite leaf. Bipartite li is an adverb, and bipartition is a noun. Uh, let's look at the etymology real quick. This is from the Latin word bipartire, which means to divide in two, 
which is from the by prefix plus partire, which means to divide. And then um, there's more at the word pars or the prefix part, which is the word part. Yeah. Well, you said you go into the etymology. I didn't hear a damn thing about insects, so I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so bipartite, they, of course they left out one of the, one of the meanings. And it has to do with a, a hairstyle where you comb your hair back and then you take the edge of the comb, the te uh, teeth end edge of the comb, and you run it twice, once on each side, kind of medium left and lead, medium right, and try to create two places in your hairline uh, where the hair then parts like miniature red seas. That is bipartite hairstyle. I haven't seen that. I'll, maybe I'll post a picture of one of those to Instagram. Can you okay. can you show me? Can you send me a picture of yourself with a bar bipartite hairstyle? I, I can try. I've never had one before, but I've got some mousse. I've got I've got a comb, and uh, sure, I'll do that. Bipartite. Yeah, yeah two parts. It'll yeah. it'll be the new style. I love it. Okay. <laughs> the next word is biped. Ah. Uh, yes, I I think thought you would like this one. Uh, this is a noun from 1646. A two-footed animal. Bipedal is an adjective. Bipedally is an adverb. And um, let's see, this is from the Latin prefix bi plus ped or ped uh, or pes, which means foot. And there's more at the word foot. All right. This would refer to someone who owns two candy dispensers. But no, that's pes. That's bipes. Um, I'm just going to stick with your definition of biped. And, and maybe we can talk about bipeds quadrupeds and octopeds and the very rare tripod uh, for just a while here. I wonder if people, uh, this is, this has always bothered me, uh, Spence, when we talk about, say, a bear that is generally quadrupedal, but sometimes rears up, is it at that moment a biped or one of our cousins, the great apes that mostly knuckle walk and are using uh, four, you know, two, two feet and two hands. Of course, their feet look like hands. Functionally, they are hands. Uh, are those animals simply quadrupeds? Are they quasi bipeds? Um, quasi biped, by the way, was the hunchback of Notre Dame, as I recall. Um, <laughs> so these are the kinds of things that keep me up at night. And I think a lot about pedalism, frankly. Uh, as a, a longtime Planet of the Apes uh, fan and, and uh, a semiophile in general. Uh, pedalism is fascinating to me, and uh, I'd, I'd like to know your thoughts on the status of pedalism, whether an organism, a single being, can, uh, can switch its pedality uh, from moment to moment. Yeah, I think you'd have to talk to a, a, a bipedologist. What's the word I'm thinking of? <laughs> yes. Oh, bi bipediatrist? Um, <laughs> I, I see your point. I see your point with the quadrupe quadruped and the, and the biped, whether it changes. Um, I have a feeling that uh, an expert in that field would probably say that they are still a quadruped. Yeah. Um, oh. But like you said, the, the ape's feet look like hands. So yeah. does that mean that they would be a... Uh, a, a four-handed animal, but I don't know if they have a term for that. By manual, uh, by manual, perhaps? by manual or quad or manual, possibly. Manual? Uh, this is getting you know murkier and murkier, isn't it? And we've all seen those those brave dogs out there uh, who've lost a leg, often to cancer. Sure. And these are quadrupeds who have successfully made the conversion, uh, the adaptation into tripedalism. Yeah, the uh, quadruped to to triped. Um, not something that you see all the time. I just saw a video of a cat that was a biped because mm. it only had the back two legs. Yeah. Looked like a little Tyrannosaurus Rex. 
That's kind of cute. Yeah. It is very cute. A um, little bit more on the subject of, of bipeds. Uh, this next word is bipedalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a noun from 1907. The condition of having two feet or of using only two feet for locomotion. So maybe a quadruped uses bipedalism sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Uh, our current president, for instance, um, is able to rear itself up on its hind legs. Um, and, and the ism Barely. In... <laughs> yes, barely. Uh, and, and no offense uh, meant to, to quadrupeds in general. Uh, it's interesting. On Facebook, I've been saying, I honestly think that Trump is, is the worst human being on the face of the earth today. Maybe not in history. There are a couple of notable um, possible worse people, but on the face of the earth today, certainly in terms of overall impact because of the way that he endangers that earth today that he's on. And uh, personality wise, I, I got to think he's, he's got, he's at the top two. I, I, I'm going to put Putin, maybe King, Kim Jong-un, people like that. Or, they're on the, the medals platform for sure, but I, I th- think Trump is the worst. And, and then some people come back on Facebook and say, well, he's not a human being. I'm like, that's the sad thing. He is. We have to own this. We have to mm. own this. He is one of us. That's what makes it so terrifying. Um, and the ISM in that bipedalism, that does suggest kind of a political uh, structure or a system of governance. Sure. And so I will say that bipedalism could be uh, the phenomenon by which uh, a quadruped, such as uh, the Donald, uh, believes that it is in his political interest to uh, give up his quadrupedal ways and rear up onto his hind legs in order to bloviate uh, criminally and untruthfully, uh, which, which leads me to the topic du jour, I guess, is, is, is Twitter and tweeting and the fact that they're now fact-checking his tweets. And then he put out a tweet which had lies in it. And so he is, they need, Twitter now needs to fact-check and correct his lying tweet about the fact that they're fact-checking and correcting his lying tweets. And by this point, it's so freaking meta and postmodern that I, I'm lost. I'm lost. Yeah, it's uh, I. We could we could spend hours and hours talking about this, but I, you and I are on the same side, and it I think just boggles both of our minds. Uh, it hurts my brain actually. Um, we have one more bipedal word that's bipedality uh-huh. is a, a noun from 1847, and then the synonym is just bipedalism or bipedalism, the one that we just read. Um, yes, that's a that's a whole fun topic that is happening right now as we are alive and it's it's, a, it's history it's history it is history in the making isn't it yeah we're living in uh, what's that curse they say me you're living in a, live in interesting times well mission accomplished yeah yes. bipedality yes. we want to talk about bipedality do we yeah is there yeah. anything more to say um yeah uh some of your older listeners may know this song i don't remember the lyrics to the first part you know that song personality that's it it's the personality song and then when i was a kid in the 70s uh wesson cooking oil used it for the chicken's got a certain wessonality and so now the trick is to come up with a limerick or uh or a jingle that ends with bipedality I have a feeling that uh, in a couple hours you may have already written it, <laughs> but I do like where you're going with that one. 
And isn't it funny that the lyrics to the Wesson jingle were, were more ingrained in your brain than the actual song? Because that's how I learned it. Just like I saw the Gilligan's Island where uh, Phil Silver's character did a musical version of Hamlet using Carmen, um, Bizet's Carmen. And that's my first exposure to Shakespeare or, or <laughs> Bizet was on Gilligan's Isle. And so, you know, it, it's, it's your, first, your first exposure, the, the die is cast. Yes, yes, that's true. All right, let's see. Our next word is biphasic, B-I-P-H-A-S-I-C. It is an adjective from circa 1909, and the definition just says having two phases. What would be an example, do you think, of, of something that just has two phases? Just two. That's interesting. So we often think of three phases, don't we? You know, the, it depends on what we're talking about. Well, I'm, I'm thinking like the Sphinx's riddle to, to Oedipus, what creature. Um, oh, yeah, this will lead us to an answer for biphasic, too. The, you know, the Sphinx's riddle to Oedipus, uh, what creature walks on uh, four legs in the morning? It's great how pedal this, this episode is. And, <laughs> yes. and, and listeners, I said pedal with a D. Pedal. I didn't say that with the Th- N. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like when you say, uh, I hope that security will, will uh, advance to the point where we can get in the door with a retinal scan. It's very important to take your time with the word retinal and not just say retinal scan because it's often misunderstood. Same thing with that pedal. Um, so Oedipus, uh, yeah, the yes. riddle, riddle was what creature? Uh, oh, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Can you hear me? And we're back. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, Paul, I think, got cut off in the middle of a word. We had some technical difficulties. Uh, This is what happens when you deal with technology. Um, But, you know, especially now when we're doing these things remotely. Um, So, Paul, we were talking about the word biphasic, and I think you had, you were... starting to say something about a riddle. Yeah, that's right. And and you're right. This is what happens when you deal with technology, which is why I prefer to work with Spencer and let him deal with technology. Biphasic. Yes. <laughs> uh, the riddle of the Sphinx. Uh, he, he asks Oedipus, uh, you know, and Oedipus will be killed, gets eaten by the Sphinx if he gets it wrong. What creature walks on four legs in the morning, two in midday, and three in the evening. Do you know, Spencer? I know that I have heard this. I know the answer is in my brain somewhere, but of course I can't think of it off the top of my head. It is you and me. It is humankind who crawl in the morning of our lives, walk upright in the middle of our lives, and totter around on a cane at the end. Yeah. And so this is biphasic. Or not, is it biphasic? Triphasic. That would be triphasic. This would be triphasic. And so biphasic would be someone who died before reaching that advanced age um or someone lucky enough not to need a cane as they as they got into their salad into their into their uh, what do you call them golden years golden years yeah, yeah right with the winter of our lives so that would be right so that'd be triphasic but uh regular the riddle is is about a triphasic life and biphasic would be to only make it through the first two yeah and the first thing i thought of was the moon mm-hmm. but uh, I think technically there's maybe eight or ten separate phases um, that that the moon goes through. You know, sub sub phases of right. major phases. So, um, but yeah, off the top of my head, I can't think of something that's specifically biphase. I mean, I think anything binary with a zero and a one with just two options, a coin would be biphasic, I guess. 
if you want to go that way. A life form that is alive or dead. Sure, that, that right? would be biphasic. Um, although the anti-choicers might argue that there's an earlier, uh, but I would say that's not alive yet. Uh, and, and the proof of that. That is a topic. <laughs> <laughs> that, are we going to go there? Probably not. We uh, no. We, we you and I are in agreement, but we are not going to get into that topic. Right, right. Right. Where does it start? Does it start at conception? Does it start when uh, fetus becomes viable? Does life begin at the moment of birth? I would say, in legal terms, it certainly does. And anyway, so um, biphasic. I'm just going to say uh, living and dead. That is a biphasic uh, uh, phenomenon for um, life forms. I agree with you. We are moving on to biphenyl, B-I-P-H-E-N-Y-L. This is a noun from... You're just making that up now. You're just making stuff up. Yep. Yep. I got to the point where there's no more book. I just have to make it all up. Uh, This is a noun from circa 1923. A white crystalline uh, hydrocarbon, C6H5, C6HO. Oh, it looks, is, is that multiplied by? There's a little dot in between of it. C6H5 twice. Um, and it is used especially as a heat transfer medium and in organic, uh, and in organic synthesis. Also a derivative of biphenyl. Do you know what biphenyl is? Yes, it means to put uh, two servings of uh, a garden herb into the salad. By I had a feeling that's where you were going. Yeah, sorry. I'm so unpredictable. What else are you going to do with fennel? Come on. Right, right. Uh, It also can refer to uh, trying to pass two objects through a cone by funnel. Okay, it's a stretch. We'll accept it. We'll accept (sighs) it. Next word is bipinate. Bipinate. Uh, bipinate. One of those is perfectly fine. This is an adjective from 1760, and it just means twice pinate. And that word, by the way, is P-I-N-N-A-T-E. And bipinately is an adverb. Bipinate is uh, the the characteristic of a person who purchases two evergreens at a time. They went go out and buy pine eight, and then and then they devour it. Yeah, that's it. They purchase or buy two evergreens or pines and then devour or ate them. That's it. If you uh, have two Christmas trees and then you eat them on January 1st, you are bipinate. Perfect. Yes. Next, we have biplane. It is a noun from 1874. An aircraft with two main supporting surfaces usually placed one above the other. Right, and it's fascinating to me that the, the, the word precedes the actual successful invention by <laughs> several decades. It would not be until, I think, circa 1912, before the Wright brothers would get that thing off the ground. There were failed attempts before then, so I suppose it makes sense you'd have a name for the things that didn't work. Uh, that makes sense, just like we have a name for Republican Party. Uh, just because something doesn't function doesn't properly doesn't mean that you can't name it. Uh, now this takes me back to childhood because I, you know, I was I was much more into monsters, prehistoric animals, and and apes and such. But I did like to build World War One model biplanes. Uh, mm. They were interesting to me, maybe because it was this notion of being exposed to the elements and having the wind in your face and having to wear the goggles and the scarf going behind you. 
like Snoopy and the Red Baron, you know. Yes. So I did build biplane models, but I never built, you know, World War II or B-52s, things like that. I, I danced to the B-52s, but that's a different thing. Um, so biplane. I, I, I was being taken back to my youth, and so I got distracted from my obligations uh, in this game. No, no, you, you that was perfect. Uh, yeah, biplanes just feel so much more connected to the world. And it's almost like the the analog version of the the future planes, which would be the digital version if you wanted to right. structure it that way. Um, yeah, there, there's definitely something to be said about those old school biplanes. And like you said, being in the wind you, exposed that way, that's not something that air uh, pilots have had to do for decades and decades. That's uh, right. Yeah, I wonder, there must be people out there like um, historical recreation type people, you know, who who do fly mm. biplanes. I'm sure there must be. Sure. And, and they get that thrill um, of a century ago. But uh, yeah, yeah, your point is well taken. Um, the biplane is to the jet as my flip phone is to your smartphone, I guess. Pretty much. Yeah. Close. Yeah. Close. Maybe the rotary phone right. would be too. Right. No, the, yes. right, the rotary. So our next word is bipod. It is a noun from 1922, and it just means a two-legged support. Mm -hmm also refers to the couple in Invasion of the Body Snatchers uh, that our hero and heroine came across who were in the process uh, of, of being reformulated. Uh, they were a bipod uh, when found, as I recall. I will, I will have to go watch that and remind myself. I'm trying to think of uh, any actual two-legged supports. I mean, as long as something has one point to stand on... Um, Actually, I did have a tripod once that became a bipod mm -hmm. because exactly. my, my my friend knocked it over well, and yeah, uh, one of the, it was old. We have unipod, we have unipods, uh, you know that monopods, yeah, monopods, right? But the bipod, I'll give you an example because I just put one up today in the front yard. It's a sign um, with two uh, metal legs coming out of the bottom to push yes. into the earth, and it's a sign thanking our healthcare and and other uh, frontline workers, and it, it is. Uh, bipedal and it is itself a bipod i of course was referencing the pod people of invasion yes. of the measures. yeah in case but you know what's cooler than the the pod people is in of course the original is the best version but in the 70s version there is a bispecial creature created when the beggar with a dog has to transform and there's only one pod between them and then this dog runs out later with it with the beggar's face and licks its chops. That's worth seeing. And you can just go to YouTube and put in Invasion of the Body mm, yeah. Snatchers 1978 Dog Man or something like that. And it's worth seeing. It freaked me out. As a teenager, it freaked me out. I, I will have to watch those. I don't I can't remember if I've seen the older ones. I did see that recent remake. Um, but I, I got to see the, the classics, obviously. The 50s one is so fascinating because um, it, it can be read as uh, being anti-McCarthyism or anti-communist. Um, you know, it, it's about enforced conformity and the loss of freedom. And so uh, you, could, you could take it in, in either direction. Um, that's a Don Siegel movie. Yeah, that's, that's mm. the genius of the film. Um, you know, I know what it means to me, but someone on the other side of the spectrum um, could, could take it in a very different way. That, that's fascinating. I don't think there's a lot of movies that can do that. Um, I don't think we mentioned this at the beginning, but 
based on the answer that you all just heard, uh, Paul is also a film teacher, a film discusser, a f- uh, scholar, a very media, knowledgeable yeah, scholar. Thank you. Media scholar yeah. is the word that, that is on my business card. And yeah, I'm a media scholar. I'm working on a scholarly film book with my co-author, author David Lurison, about the director Edgar G. Ulmer, best known for two films, The Black Cat from 1934 first movie to pair uh, Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, and one of the seminal uh, films noir called Detour, uh, which is also one of the cheapest movies ever made. Uh, Ulmer, well, you can see why I would be drawn to his work. Uh, He was consigned largely to Z-grade movies and uh, brilliance on a budget approach. Um, So, you know, as a kid, I would see Daughter of Dr. Jekyll, directed by Edgar Ulmer, and I I'd see the flaws in it, like the fact that this movie that's supposed to be taking place around 1915. If you look carefully through the breakfast uh, nook window, you can see 1950s cars driving past. But Mm -hmm. he he didn't have a lot of film to shoot, and I don't think they were looking at dailies. So, uh, yeah, media scholarship, uh, fascinating to me. Um, And uh, I I can't just watch something. Anything worth watching, it's worth watching at least twice and my i'm glad oh, to, yeah i'm glad to say though and, and maybe you feel this way too my first experience of a movie or good tv show something like that that i haven't seen before is still largely an emotional and character driven and what's going to happen next it's not scholarly scholarly i mean i might have a little bit in the first viewing but mostly it's like that was really good the oa i want to go back and watch that yes you know uh handmaid's tale i want to watch that episode again uh mrs america i want to watch that episode again uh what else are we watching we just started uh man in the high castle and so you see it a second time and that's when these things really start to present themselves uh handmaid's tale uh, the kubrickian symmetry that is is in the compositions anytime you're in um, you know, places like the commander's home or any of the governmental offices. There's this fascist sim- symmetry, um, a la Kubrick uh, compositions. Whereas if, if uh, it's somewhere else that's outside the uh, immediate uh, ever-present thumb of, of uh, Gilead, you will have compositions that are much less uh, rigid and, and much more asymmetrical. So, yeah. Yeah. Movie reviewers who just talk about the plot and, you know, uh, the acting and maybe they'll say there's some beautiful location footage. That's just not maybe a review, but it's not a movie review. It's that's a plot and acting review. Yeah. What you do goes up much more in depth, which I think is very fascinating. That's not necessarily always where my brain goes, mm-hmm. but I do really appreciate it when that's pointed out to me. Um, and I, I love that stuff. And then it makes me say, oh, well, maybe I should go watch it again yep. with that other viewpoint in mind. So, uh, you know, you're, you you all are, are getting a little film lesson here from Paul. <laughs> but, uh, well, but think about it. A movie is it's it's a visual art form. So we can't consign it to just a story or just a story right. with acting in it. it. It is, there aren't degrees of uniqueness and it drives me crazy when people say very unique because something either is one of a kind or it's not. But if I were to say that there's a most unique art form, it would be film because think about it. It tells a story. It's a narrative form like literature. Um, it, it is uh, visual art, uh, like uh, painting or print, or still photography from which it evolved, after all. It is a performance medium, like a live play or opera, because there are people inhabiting characters and vice versa. Since 1927, and Al Jolson, the jazz singer, it is an aural, A-U-R-A-L, auditory medium. 
Um, you could throw in John Waters' Odorama if you want, but uh, mainly those first four, there is nothing comparable. Uh, and opera has a lot going on on a stage, but it's not the same visual medium as one where people are controlling what's in your field of sight the whole time and whether it pans, whether it tilts, whether it zooms, whether it tracks, whatever it does, you know, it, this, this is unique. And so to do justice to, to a film and it, you know, it's, it's offspring television, uh, you really need to address it on every level. Um, or, or, or you're turning a three-dimensional object into a two-dimensional object, which is what another thing that film does, of course. Yeah, there's plenty of films that are, are two-dimensional and others that are three-dimensional in that, in that sense. This is a, a topic that I could talk about for a long, long time, but <laughs> I, I will have, say... I already have talked about it for a long, long time. Sorry about that. No, that's fine, and and, and I'm uh you know we'll, I'm about to transition, okay. but uh but one quick thing about that though that this what you said is something that I have actually talked a lot about um, mm-hmm. at least to myself if not to other people, which is the fact that film is the combination of all or almost all of the arts, yes. which is you know that's just another way to put what you said. Um, every every single art that you can think of can be um utilized in filmmaking and then you know you can go past that with food craft services Mm -hmm. the business side of things it's um the building of sets it it combines basically every aspect of life into this one thing filmmaking the writing the creating the editing the viewing all of it it's it is this very unique art form and you know there's a lot of films that I would not call art but when they do utilize all of those together uh, that's you know other than smell and taste um, that's when it it does become this this art form and it is absolutely incredible and Um, hand in hand with what you just said it is far and away the most collaborative of all art forms. Yeah. I can write a novel on my own. You can paint a painting on your own and so forth. And if you want to put on a play and it's not a one person play, then you're going to have multiple performers. You have a stage director and and, uh, stage manager and a director and so forth. But I mean, again, what is it? A symphony orchestra or an opera or something is going to take the silver but there's such a gap between anything like that and a movie. It takes a village to make a movie. It literally does. I, you watch the end credits. There are thousands of names on a Hollywood feature at the end. And if it's a if it's a Lord of the Rings movie, there's tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of names. It takes a village to make a movie. Now, that's a plus and a minus. It's a plus because of all of those people. Um, you know, are very good at what they do and are really bringing it and are on the same page. You can have a masterpiece arguably better than what one person working alone can do, no matter how skilled or or talented she or he is in a given field. But there's also the weakest link theory. And so we've all seen movies where, well, the script was good, but Keanu Reeves was in it. Or, uh, you know, the cast was good, but the script sucked. Or one key thing that just suddenly turns what could have been a good or even great movie into something that didn't work. So that inherent hyper-collaborative aspect of cinema is a blessing and a curse, depending. That's true. We had that whole conversation just off of the word bipod. (laughs) And we are almost here at the end. Uh, We've got the word bipolar. Mm -hmm. This is an adjective from 1810. There are uh, a number of uh, definitions, so hang tight. Mm -hmm. Number one, 
having or marked by two mutually repellent forces or diametrically opposed natures or views. Mm-hmm. 2A, having or involving the use of two poles or polarities. Mm-hmm. 2B, relating to being or using a transistor in which both electrons and holes are utilized as charge carriers. Number three, relating to associated with or occurring in both polar regions, as in bipolar species of birds. Mm -hmm. And then the last definition is number four, being characteristic of or affected with a bipolar disorder. Bipolarity is a noun. Bipolarization is also a noun. A bipolarize is a transitive verb. Mm-hmm. And then um, our, I'll just say our last word is bipolar disorder. But if you would like to comment on bipolar I think we, before I get to that next one. Yeah, we could do both at once. Um, sure. Yeah. I think that makes sense. And it's interesting that the last of the four definitions was the one that we invariably think of, I think, uh, now when we hear the word bipolar. It is a short, yeah, that's isn't it? Yeah, shortened version of bipolar disorder. Um, I may have a mild case of that. I know I've struggled with major depression. If I do have a minor case of bipolarity, it would be the kind, this is fairly common, where the lows are quite low and the highs are not particularly high. Not mania, right. not mania, but hypomania, which means almost manic. And that's when I get a lot of stuff done, frankly. You, I mean, you talk about all the projects in which I'm involved. Yeah, hypomania is not a bad thing for that. And I'd rather be hypomanic than full-on manic, that's for sure. Um, I, I think it's important for people who struggle with mental illness to, to be upfront about it. Mike Wallace of 60 Minutes was excellent at that. And we have people like uh, Halsey, the, the musician and singer, who, um, mm. and um, Demi Lovato, likewise, uh, very upfront about their bipolar disorder in, in those two cases. Um, it helps to beat down the stigma. I do a lot of work in mental health and in suicide prevention. And, and we're always asking people to go ahead and, and self-identify. Um, it makes it just that much easier for someone out there to, to go and get help and not think that there's a problem with them. There's not. It's not a sign of weakness if you have one of these things any more than it's a sign of weakness if you have diabetes you know, or, or um, a heart condition. Um, in fact, it's a sign of strength to have it and do something about it. So, um, yeah, to look for help, yeah, oh. which obviously we, we both urge everybody to do if, if you're feeling like that. I've been feeling really good for several years now. Um, and this is, I'm being, this is being said by someone who was at the brink of suicide a number of times. Um, and, and, uh, you know, so depression, it, 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 uh, it's a liar. It's a big liar. It's a, like a Trump level liar. It tells you things that, um, that simply aren't true and they're really convincing at the time. Um, but uh, I'm telling you, uh, as someone who's not currently in a... Oh, wow. That was cool. Did you, a spaceship just land, Spencer? Sorry, no. Uh, Sharon actually Hi, opened Sharon. the door because she didn't... She, she's gone now. Okay. But um, we, we, we're going to uh, finish this up. I actually didn't get to the actual definition of bipolar disorder, um, which is a noun from 1980. Any of several psychological disorders... Uh, of mood characterized usually by alternating episodes of depression and mania, called also manic depression or manic depressive illness. Um, you mentioned that you you feel like you might have some of this. I actually feel like I have some of this. Um, it, it might not come with as many low lows or high highs, but I definitely on occasion uh, get depressed and feel depressed. And then on other days, I feel totally fine. So, yeah. you know, it's it's just a thing that I think a lot more people deal with on some level 
um, of the, that spectrum um, than than we are aware of. Yeah, we all we all go through good moods and and bad moods, and when when they get um, uh, when they are intensified, then you may be in the in the neighborhood of an actual mood disorder. There's not a test right. for it. You can't. It's not like a blood test can tell you. And so I know that I uh, struggle uh, with uh, episodic uh, depression, whether it's part of a mild bipolar disorder or it's simply uh, a depressive disorder, I don't know. But it seems to have some uh, characteristics of bipolarity. By the way, I, I, I never got to give you my alternate definition, but bipolar transportation would mean, for instance, a sled being pulled by two big white bears. Yes, uh, I was that, look, I was hoping yeah. for something like that. And if you want to catch more fish, uh, it's it's better to fish in a bipolar way. Yes, uh, than than unipolar. Agreed. Um, so uh, I thought there was something. Oh, do you, is there a good place that you know of off the top of your head where if somebody feels like they need some help in that in that area that they they can go to? I'll put a link in the show notes or a phone number or something. Right. Yeah. And off the top of my head, I, I'm not remembering the suicide hotline that I used to quote to people at times like this. But I will tell you the one for Rain. Uh, we were talking before about rape, abuse, and incest national network, and they have several 24-7 hotlines, both phone and online and Spanish language, and that's 800-656-HOPE. That is a good number to know, and I will find the uh, the other uh, suicide hotline number, and I think there's a website, too, that I will put in the show notes. Um, you know, you never know what is going to come up in the dictionary. I, I love the fact that it gets us on these random conversations. Um, I've had some really great ones with people, and unfortunately, they can't go on forever. Um, the episode will have to end eventually. So the last thing that we're going to do is I'm going to have you pick a word of the episode um, that is your favorite or the one that stuck out at you the most in whatever way you choose. I will go ahead and read them uh, just to give you a quick reminder. They are biotype, biowarfare, biowaste, bioweapon, biparental, bipartisan, bipartite, biped, bipedalism, bipedality, biphasic, biphenyl, bipinate, biplane, bipod, bipolar, and bipolar disorder. It's a tough call because some of those I didn't know and are quirky, um, like the fennel one. But I, I have these existing affections for things like bipedalism and biplane. It would have to be one or the other of those. And I'm going to say biplane because the biplane can have a bipedal being in it. <laughs> Often does, actually. Generally does if it's yeah in motion. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so that is it. Uh, biplane is the word of the episode. Thank you very much to Paul for being on. If you want to know more about him or want to learn film from him or read his book or hear books, I should say plural, or hear his music or see his shows, um, go ahead and check out the show notes. I will put as much in there as I can. Beautiful. So, Paul, thank you very much for doing this. This was a lot of fun. Spencer, it was my pleasure. And- and all those glowing things you said about me are coming right back at you, brother. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate it. And to all of you listeners, thank you. Rate and review and share and all those things that people have to say at the end of their podcast episodes. And this has been Spencer Dispensing Information. Spencer, Goodbye. can I just say bye, B-I? Can I do that? Bye. Oh, yeah. that's perfect. Yeah. Bye.